That's a fun group. That is a really fun group. How's everyone doing today? Oh, I like it. Uh, so thank you, uh, Roger, for letting me uh, take over. This is, this is nice. This is, this is powerful. I like it. Um, <laughs> welcome, everyone's online. I know I invited a lot of friends, so uh, welcome all of those people. Um, you know, being a uh, teacher means that uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently, so get ready for a more interactive uh, message. So if you are ready, go ahead and give me a thumbs up. If you are not ready, do thumbs down. All right, take note of all of those, uh, period. Uh, today's message is entitled, Making the Best Use of Time, and unfortunately, it is rated M for mature audiences only. There will be some adult language in here, not, like, not that sort of adult language, but uh, this is a very serious uh, conversation. Um, so with any luck, we'll be done in the next two hours. Um, <laughs> now, I spent a lot of time uh, praying and studying and getting ready for this message, and uh, one thing that I've absolutely learned with uh, being the youth director here is that uh, every time I go in to learn something to teach to the students, uh, it is really an amazing thing because it really is a... A, a, a conversation for me, uh, that everything that I have to teach, I actually am learning as well. And I assume that if you are also reading the Bible regularly, you find that uh, what you see uh, in there is absolutely true for yourself. The Bible is a mirror, as it is often said. And how many of you did look at yourself in the mirror before you got you know, out in the house today, just making sure hair looks nice, outfit, everything matches? All of that. Some people did not raise their hand. Okay, all right. You look fantastic. You look fantastic. Uh, today's message is going to attempt to uh, hold up a, um, a mirror to, to all of us, uh, myself included. Uh, so I am not going to try to offend anybody, but I can't promise that it won't happen. Last uh, July, uh, we found out that John, our previous youth director, was going to be leaving, and uh, there was a running joke amongst all of us uh, back here. Wave your hand if you're in the youth. Yay, youth. Yes, fantastic. The running joke was this, uh, John, when are you going to get a girlfriend? Thank you. That is the sort of interactive that I was looking for. Yes. And so uh, when we found out that he was not going to be there, I turned to Roger and I said, uh, Roger, I hope that your next youth director has a wife. And he said, funny you should say that because <laughs> there's my wife right back there. Um, right now, I am finishing my 18th year as a high school teacher. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'll take it. That wasn't, a, <laughs> that wasn't exactly a clap line, but I'll take it. I, I like that. Uh, it's my 18th year as a husband, or rather in June we'll be celebrating our 18th anniversary. This is my 14th year as a father. No claps for Adelaide on that one. <laughs> this is my 18th year as a Christian. Uh, and so even though I grew, yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, hey, I'll take that one. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Um, although I grew up in the church, I really, uh, and had heard the message uh, my whole life, I, I really hadn't made it a real thing until my 23rd birthday, and, um, you know, over many weeping over my, my tears, uh, uh, my sins, very literally, uh, I realized uh, that Christ had indeed set me free, and that is the theme of all scripture, that Christ comes to make men free. And so that is why today's message is going to be about making the use of the time that we have. For if we have been set free, what have we been set free for? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, what have we been set free for? A lot of whispering for those of you who don't see online. <laughs> All right. I told you it's going to be a little interactive. 
All right, everyone's got an, an answer. We're going to see how close, at least, you know, my, my answer is with your answer as the message goes on. Uh, so, since I am a high school teacher, there are two things that I want us to do uh, before that. And the first is I want you to know what I expect us all to learn. So if you could actually click on the next one. There it is. Our goal, goal number one, we are going to be learning about the way that God wants us to think about the time that he's given us to uh, have. Uh, goal two is that we ought to spend that time for personal holiness and sanctification. And number three, that the hours that we have been given ought to include evangelism, ought to include evangelism. The second thing that I want us to do is we're going to take a pop quiz. That's right. It has been a while, I think, for many of you that you have had a pop quiz, so I hope that you are ready. Again, I am a high school teacher, so there will be no grades given at the end of this, though, by the way. But no cheat. Yeah, there you go. Larry likes that one. Uh, but, uh, but you are able to ask your neighbor for help. Are you ready? Are we ready? Yeah. There we go. All right, fantastic. All right, number one, we're going to go easy, but this only works if you are part of the church body here. According to Canon, which is the best football team? Correct answer is <laughs> the Chiefs. The Chiefs. It's canon. I didn't say what was the best football team. Ooh. All right. Question number two. Question number two. Where is God at this moment? Okay. All right. All right. See, we can know some answers here. Question number three. Multiple choice. Which of these is not an image that the Bible is compared to? A, a sword, B, a plow, C, a mirror, or D, seed? Which of those is not? All right. Who's they in C? Who said that? C, you are absolutely correct. Give a round of applause. She got that one. I'm so right. All right. We're going to get a little bit more tricky. Okay. Question number four. What is the Great Commission? Tell your neighbor. What is the Great Commission? All right, we're going to hold on to that one. We'll hold on to that one. All right, this next one is, I'm going to give you 20 seconds. All right, 20 seconds. Number five, describe or explain what the word repentance means. You have only 20 seconds. Tell your neighbor, repentance. Jordan, I, you're not talking. You got two neighbors right next to you. <laughs> repentance. All right, and a hush falls over the crowd. Uh, now, the way that I teach uh, repentance is definitely not the way that I, you know, I just happen to know, but uh, the way it's been explained to me, I like this example best. Let's, what's your name, sir? What? Paul, fantastic. Paul, you and I, let's go to Mexico. Does that sound like a good idea? <laughs> let's go to a place that we can drive to together. L.A., want to go to L.A. together? All right, you got to work with me here, Paul. Yeah, you got to work with me. Where would you like to go, Paul? All right, we're going to go to San Diego. Paul and I get in the car, but Paul's really sleepy. And so Paul uh, goes to sleep, and then he wakes up, and he looks around, and he sees pine trees everywhere and mountain and snow. And Paul says to me, I went the wrong way. Now, Paul's going to expect me to do three things, okay? Number one, stop. Stop driving. Stop going forward, right? Number two, apologize. Paul, hey, I'm so sorry. I, yeah, I went the wrong way. This is obviously, this is a big bear. How did we get here? And number three, turn around, turn around. So that is really a good way to describe repentance. It's stop what you're doing, 
apologize and then go the direction you're supposed to be going. There you go. Now you can have that too. Yeah, no, you don't have to clap on that one. <laughs> uh, number six. Number six. This is history majors. How did Nero treat Christians at his garden parties? All right, this is the history buffs. Any history buffs in the room know this? My daughter has her hand raised. All right, but I also saw your hand raised. What, you, what is the answer? Burning them at the stake to light his gardens. Ooh, what an uncomfortable image. Yes, but you are totally right. And number seven, trick question. Trick question here. What could be considered the most dangerous thing a Christian faced in the Roman world? Tell your neighbor, what do you think? The most dangerous. Hmm. I told you it's a trick question. Now, I would suggest to you that the most dangerous thing about the Roman culture was not the lions, were not the crosses. It was the lull to join the culture, to be just like everyone else. That is why it's a trick question there. Trick question. All right. Uh, keep a lot of those answers in the back of your head as we go here, forward here. Uh, as an 18 veteran teacher, I want to take a moment to describe what it's like to be a teenager. Look at those teenagers. Raise your hand if you have one or fewer managers. This includes retirees. One or fewer managers right now. All right, all right. How many of you have between two and four managers currently that you report to? Fantastic. Does anyone have five or more managers that they directly report to? Nobody. All right. All of the youth, raise your hands. <laughs> you see, for the average high school uh, student, they have six managers. We just call them teachers. And they, are, they have to report to every single one of them. Each one has a different demand on their time. Uh, each of those uh, students has two parents, if they're lucky. Uh, and they have their own set of demands. They have little money to do things that they might want to do, which is all right, because uh, they don't always make the best decisions. Uh, and, uh, and they don't have cars. Can you just think about life, again, without cars? You can't just go where you want to go. You are limited to as far as your bicycle will take you. All right? Which... E-bike, yeah, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but rather just kind of, you know, as you look at the teenagers, especially the kids on the e-bikes, I don't know. My, my heart goes out for those kids because I, like, I see myself in those. I was like, if I had had an e-bike, that is exactly what I would look like. Now, for me, adult Justin says, like, slow down, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? You know, get out of the road. My dad can attest that he took away my bicycle for a month because I rode with my hands out and like standing like through an intersection that he just happened to be driving through at that moment. <laughs> that was, uh, we get, that was I, I will say that that was good timing, but uh, younger me definitely would have called that bad timing. Sadly, there's more. Today's teenagers also are a very sad and confused lot. They are told from a very early age that they are the end result of random chemical processes that didn't have them in mind, and which evolutionary chance has ripped any purpose they could possibly have. They are told that they are born good, and that if they were just allowed to be unfettered in this world, then everything would be fine. They believe that the greatest truth that matters is their own sense of self and personal happiness while simultaneously holding the position that there is no such thing as truth or right or wrong. They are taught to believe that sex is the greatest pleasure that they could attain and that the only thing that they ought to look out for is being caught by their parents, catching some disease, or getting pregnant, which is unfortunately too easy to dispose of. 
this is actually really sad, at school dances, children no longer dance with each other. There are no more slow songs. There is never a moment where, you know, we're going to slow it down here, and everyone kind of dances next to each other. Now, they dance in groups, uh, but they don't dance in dates. The worst thing you can be called as a teenager is a sexist, racist, homophobe in any combination, or all three. The average first exposure to hardcore pornography, tell your neighbor, what, what age do you think it is? Average is 12 years old. And this, is, this is not just like, you know, a tasteful picture. This is a very explicit one. By 18, most boys are so painfully addicted to pornography that they do not have the ability to have a normal, healthy relationship uh, with a person of the opposite sex. And usually it takes years of therapy and work to work out of it. The average unchurched high schooler is a dark and lonely place, and answers are hard to come by. 16.3% of teenagers have been diagnosed with depression this year. That means that if you see five, two of them are depressed. One in three teenage girls has seriously committed, uh, considered committing suicide this year. One in three. A month ago, a student of mine did attempt to take her life, but wasn't successful. Uh, a few years back, a student of mine was successful. I tell you all of this, yes, so that we can mourn for the lives that our youth are in right now. But I also want to emphasize that the difference between your teenage years and uh, the current teenage years is, is perhaps very vast and very different than the one that you had. If you have your Bibles, would you please open up to Ephesians 5? If you're just following along on here, that's, that's great too. There is not a wrong answer. But this is going to frame and anchor our entire discussion today. Ephesians 5. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me show you something. This, uh, depending on, on how you feel about it, is either very morbid or very inspiring. Caleb bought this for me. This is my life in weeks. This is a life calendar. For those of you guys who can't see on this side. It is 52 across and 80 down. And it is supposed to represent my entire life. As you can see, I am 40 years old and I am heading to 41. And every week, I fill in one more square until I die. <laughs> now, the first question I'm usually asked is, what if you live longer than 80? To which I say, thank you, sir or madam. That is a real boost. And yeah, me too. I hope so as well. Um, but what if I don't? That's okay. My wife, she said, you're going to make me have this at your funeral. And I said, yes, you 100%. And a big picture of me like this. My life in weeks. I love this thing. I'm going to just put it right here. You can think about where you are <laughs> on that as well. Um, I love it because David tells us to number our days. Teach me to number my days. The Lord tells us that we have to make the most use out of our time. And at the beginning of every week, I fill in one more week and I ask myself, have I done anything with this week for the Lord? It's a sobering question. 
because there's a lot of weeks. But as I've been filling this in, I'm like, there are less weeks than I think. Because week after week after week after week, it's like, oh my gosh, I am getting older every week. And this is a really cool visual reminder to teach myself to number these days. So let me ask you another question. What did God send you here to do? You can tell your neighbor. What did God send you here to do? You can just tell them or just think. Any volunteers? Any volunteers? Everyone's really nervous. I assume you, you have the right answers. <laughs> All right, my daughter Lily wants to give an answer. Yeah, spread God's word. That's a great answer. Thank you, daughter. I did not put her up for that. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah. To know God and to make him known. Yeah, that's a, double, that's a double whammy. Any others? Thank you, ladies. <laughs> I said, uh, in addition to those, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. To love your neighbor as yourself to read and obey the whole counsel of God, and of which you're all thinking, ah, I, I could have said that, but you didn't, but you didn't. That's okay, that's okay. If you don't have this verse memorized, uh, let's encourage us all to go to Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Uh-oh, I left out some blanks. Hmm, let's see if we, we know how those go. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach, yes, teach is the correct answer. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Go, make, teach. Go, make, teach. Three commands. Easy. There's a part where I might step on some toes. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? As I said, so often when I'm doing one of these messages for myself, I I'm realizing, hey, wait a second. I better be living this life as well. It I can't tell them to do something that I'm not willing to do. So, this just kind of, you know, sits here. Are you going? Are you making? Are you teaching? We'll leave it there. Let's go back to that main verse here. Look careful then how you, not as the unwise, but as the making the best use of, because the days are, we're going to keep coming back to that. After the Fukushima reactor melted down, seems like a transition, but the area, <laughs> the area was evacuated and closed. But a small group of thieves seized upon the opportunity and broke into the area. There were all of these houses that were suddenly empty. And they made sure that as they were doing their thieving, that they would limit their exposure to the area to 30 minutes. They would make out with the valuables that they needed. They'd spend it, you know, go to a fence and, uh, and then leave. But one by one, they all started to get sick. And one by one, they went to the doctors, and one by one, they found out that although they looked fine on the outside, 
their marrow had almost completely rotted away. This world belongs to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is not a safe place to be a part of. And if you are like me, you can point to areas in your life that you treat like those thieves in Fukushima. And you tell yourself, because I tell myself, that I will be fine so long as I limit the exposure. But at some point, we have to realize that we are actually rotting away from the inside out. And we might wonder why our lives don't look like the ones that we see in Scripture. Or maybe more painfully, we recognize that our lives do look like the ones from Scripture, just not the examples that we would choose to be a part of. Charles Spurgeon said, dead fish don't swim upstream. Because they can't. The world is heading down and out, and yet God has called us to press onward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so as you think about your interests, as you think about the things that you care about and do and are living, take stock and ask yourself, are you swimming upstream or are you floating down with the world? In Romans 9, 6, 11 through 14, It says this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Here's another hard transition. We're going to talk about rat poison. Did you know that rat poison is 99.93% good, healthy grain? It is only 0.075% poison, and yet that 0.075 is effective to take out an entire colony of rats. In an unrelated note, Would you tell your neighbor, just your guess, how many hours do you think the average American spends on entertainment, visual entertainment? If you were to quantify, and they have, how many hours the average American spends on television or engaged in some sort of visual entertainment, just make a guess. Don't give a side eye to your husband. All right, let's see. I want to hear three, three examples here, three, three answers here. How many hours do you think? Four hours. I like it. And then yours? Six hours. Let's go way in the back. Yep. Eight hours a day. Oh, that's a lot of hours in the day. Uh, right over here, uh, you with the, with the green. Five hours. Fantastic. All right, let me put this into context for us. There are 5,040 hours a month. That's 24 times 7 times 30, you know, give or take. In that time, the average American watches 4.7 hours of visual entertainment. 4.7 hours a day. 4.7 times 30 is uh, is 141 hours. And if you multiply that by 12 months, that is 1,692 hours a year. If that was a work week you would spend 42 work weeks watching entertainment. How many, tell your neighbor, how many weeks are there in a year? 
And you would spend 42 of them uh, watching television. <laughs> Taken over a lifetime of an average age of 78 years, if you were to string all of those hours of television together, one after another, you would spend 15 years of your life quietly staring at moving pictures. 78 minus 15 is 63. Just like that. And if you're older than 63, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I have lost some years. I have lost some years. In that same 78 years of life, you will spend 26 of them asleep. You will spend 10.2 of them working. You will spend approximately two years at school. And if you subtract work, sleep, school, entertainment, from that 78, you would be able to keep 24.8 years. And that's it. Out of 78, you get to keep 24.8 of them. And most of us are older than 24.8, and that is it. That is all the time that we have been given, although we have 78 of those years. Look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. In case you don't know this, there is an enemy, and he hates you. His name is Satan. He is a deceiver. He is a slanderer. He is a tempter of evil, and he is a prosecuting lawyer, and he hates you. He baits his hook with the lusts of the flesh, with the lusts of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, and he is looking for someone to catch. In John 10.10, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he can't steal your soul, then he will work night and day to neutralize your witness in this world. First Peter says this, be on the alert for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Brothers and sisters, as I reflect on both Christ's words and Peter's, I would like to say that these are not written to non-Christians. They are written to you and to me. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to resist the schemes of the devil. Are we going out armed? Are we going out armed? These verses are warning us that if we are walking in sin and looking like the rest of the world, we are in danger. If we are not staying connected to the source of God's word daily, we are in danger. If we are walking outside the safety of our church and the fellowship that we need together, we are in danger. And if we are simply relying on a former profession of faith, but we just know in our hearts that something is not right, we are in danger. We can hardly claim the promises of God that we will be safe under the shadow of his wing if we aren't under the shadow of his wing. So I will echo what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All right, now, briefly, I was a history major, and this is uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, this is the Second Punic War. How many of you know about the Second Punic War? It was the second one. That guy knows. <laughs> It was uh, in the year 212 BC, and there is a moment that goes like this. In the city of Syracuse, it was heavily fortified and besieged by a Roman general named Marcus Marcellus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> According to the ancient historian uh, Polybus, a soldier named Damocles dropped his helmet from the wall one night and had to climb down to retrieve it. It revealed a secret goat path that could be used 
to enter into the city. And Marsolis was able to use this information, launched a surprise attack, and the city was captured. This whole war was lost in part because one soldier let his guard down once, and the enemy found a way in. Look carefully then how you, not as the, but as the making the best use of the, because the days are evil. Have you considered ever why the Christian church was a target for persecution? I don't know. We just kind of take it at face value. It was, but have you considered why it was? Because this was a pluralistic culture that allowed every form of perversion and wickedness. There were temples that had both male and female prostitutes that you could frequent. Other religions were allowed in the Roman world. There were Jewish synagogues, we know from Paul as he's visiting these Roman cities. There was a go-along-to-get-along attitude, and any religion could be there. But the Church of Christ was different. Did you know they were called atheists because they wouldn't, uh, they denied the Roman pantheon? They were called haters of humanity because they wouldn't go to its games. And here's a fun fact for you on Monday. Do you know the word gym means naked? It's a fun fact. Um, <laughs> another reason not to go. When you would go to see a, uh, you know, a, a game, it would have been done in the nude, and the Christians said, no, not for me. They wouldn't go to the theaters because of the often sexual and violent themes that were portrayed in rather graphic detail on stage. The early church was different, and because of that difference, it was attacked. So again, same question. Are you different from the American culture that we live in today? Are its concerns your concerns? Is its entertainment your entertainment? Are they able to tell a difference between you and an unsaved person? Don't tell your neighbor on that one. This is just kind of like internal. In Romans 10, 9, we say, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a wonderful, awesome passage. Yes, I believe. And I, I said it. But there is more. this is more than a mere profession of faith. This is a matter of life and death to the audience this was originally written to. When you paid your taxes in this ancient world, the emperor, as the emperor would command, a group of soldiers would come and set up in the town an altar. And he would instruct each person to take a pinch of incense and to drop it into the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Lined up one at a time. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And then you go about your day. Those that did not were either killed on the spot, taken away in chains, given some marginalized status in the country. So when Paul said, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This was not just a mere profession. This was asking you to consider all the cost. This isn't just a confession, but a real following of Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, take my cross and follow me. This is not like you know, an allegory or a metaphor. This was a real command. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's pull these strings together. The life of the average American, let alone a youthful one, is a dark place that needs the gospel shown in it. Amen? Big amen. 
The church has been commanded to go, preach, and teach, and yet it has so often been distracted by the allurements of the world, where people come to church on Sunday but then look like the world on Monday. We're told to be on guard, and yet, like Damocles, many have allowed the enemy to sneak in and corrupt the church. And with the world demanding that we bow the knee to Caesar and say he is Lord, or the state is Lord, or our sexuality is Lord, or entertainment, our pleasure is Lord, Christians are called to take up the cross and join a death march up to Calvary. And I don't know where this is hitting you, but I know where this hit me. Fifty-two weeks every year. If I had started when I was 30 just to share the gospel with one person a week, just one, I could have shared the gospel with 1,560 people by this point. And I didn't. And I didn't. I didn't know. But I know now. I mentioned in the opening that the most dangerous place in the church was not just necessarily the fires, right? Not just necessarily the, the lions. It was the fact that the Roman world would have allowed them to be like us. Just come alongside. Don't worry. Just keep your, your Jesus. That's fine. Just also say this over here. It's a lulling compromise that the world has always tempted people to indulge in. Uh, hold up that million-dollar bill, please. Hold up that million-dollar track that we gave you. Uh, so I got this from Living Water. How many of you know Living Water's ministry? Ray Comfort, awesome, very cool. It's super cheap, by the way. You can get 100 of these for like $3. So I, it, this, is, this is not a, an onerous thing. You're like, oh, I thought it was worth a lot. I guess it just depends on how we count that. I guess that just depends on how we count it. Uh, I want you to give this away. That is not for you, okay? That is not for you. That is not for you. You want to get your own, go buy your own. That is for somebody else. That is for somebody else. I want you to give it to somebody, and I don't care who you give it away. I just want you to give it away to somebody. This is the season of Easter. Easter! This is the time where we celebrate Christ's death, the payment of our sins, the glorious resurrection that Christ has made us partakers of. That is a good news. We have a promise of heaven. Our sins have been forgiven and we get to spend eternity with him, sharing in his glory and worshiping him. If there is a message to take to this lost world, that is it. That is it. And so I will ask you that you pray who you can give that away to. It could be an actual person. You're like, oh, I know this person. But it, it could also just as easily be somebody that you're walking down the street. You're like, I always see this person. And you just go and you say, hey, have you gotten your millions? And you just hand it to them. Now, they might ask, well, what is this? You're like, oh, it's a gospel track. Oh, a gospel track? What's that? Like, well, do you know? Have you, has anyone ever shared with you the gospel? I don't know. I mean, my, like somebody said to me when I was a kid, something like that. Well, hey, I, can, can I just take five minutes to tell you what the gospel is? Now, I've been doing this, okay? So I wanted to practice what I preach. Wife, did I do this? Yes. But I just keep going around, and I keep handing these out, and I keep doing this uh, up to yesterday. And I put one in my pocket, and I said, Lord, we're going to go to the park. If there's somebody there that you want me to give this to, I'm ready. Just, just put them away. The moment that I got up on the top of the hill, I see one of my neighbors. I was like, okay, all right, there he is. <laughs> there he is. And, uh, and we got to talk, and I got to share the whole gospel with him. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. And he had said to me, he said, uh, well, you know, everybody goes to heaven. I said, did you know that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life? Nobody comes to the Father except through me? He's like, no, I didn't know that. Well, it's true. 
let me give this to you. And just is a summary of what we were just saying. He's like, oh, thank you. No problem. And that was it. It was that easy. How many of you have the, the red and the, the blue? Hold, hold this up if you've got the red and the blue ones. You got one of those red and blue ones? All right, so there I was at the grocery store yesterday. Yeah, there you go. He's got them. I was at the grocery store and, uh, you know, just checking out my stuff, you know, but I always had, like, my, my, th- my tracks in my pocket, and uh, there was, like, a checker there, and, and uh, she's helping me, and, and uh, we're just talking, and, and I say to her, I say, hey, do you want to see a trick? And she said, yeah, and I said, hey, uh, which of these looks bigger? And she's like, that one. I said, okay, very cool. How about now? And she's like, oh, that one. I said, yeah, that's cool. And, she, and I gave them to her, and she's like, oh, that's so neat. They're the same size. And I said, yeah. And uh, she's like, here. And I was like, no, no, you keep those. She's like, I can have it. Oh, I'm going to show this to other people. I was like, that's great. And I didn't say anything about the back. She didn't even notice the back yet. One of those Christian things. Ah, you know. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. It doesn't have to be a full gospel presentation every time. You know, she's working. I don't want to bother her. But I just wanted to get it into her hands and then let the Lord do what he's going to do with it. That's good. That's good. Look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise. You have to make the best use of your time because the days are, they are. And I don't know about what your opinion of young people is. It is bleak, but it's not necessarily as bleak as Fox News makes it out to be. My Summit Youth Group, I don't want to say my Summit, Christ Summit Youth Group here, they are a small and mighty group that loves the Lord. They are hungry for his word. They are inviting and encouraging their friends to come to church. And they have unsaved friends. And they are having gospel conversations with them. And one, <laughs> this cracks me up, uh, they were having this conversation uh, about the Epicurean paradox. When I was 14, I couldn't have pronounced Epicurean paradox, and yet alone, this is what these young people are actually talking about. And if you don't know what it is, the Epi- uh, Epicurean paradox is this. Uh, evil exists. You claim that there's a God. How can a good God allow evil to exist? And then that, this, this, is, this was made by atheists. This is not actually the correct answer uh, to the problem. And there's obviously a lot of logical flaws. Um, so they come to me. I write up this long treaty on how a good God can allow evil to exist in the world. And they're like, okay. And they took it to their friends. And they shared. And they were not successful. That's, that's okay. That is okay. Because in one sense, they were very successful because they were obedient to what God has called them to do, to bring the message of true saving faith to the lost world. God will do what God's going to do, whether or not my students are the ones that get to have those moments of like, oh my gosh, I get it now. It's okay. The job is to go out there and do it. The job is not necessarily to be successful. The skeptic remained in their skepticism, but my students walked away planting the seed for the Lord. So as you go out and as you share these things, just know that not necessarily every evangelistic encounter you have is going to be a successful one. That's okay. That is okay. If Christ is counting the number of people we lead to Christ, surely he is going to count the number of people we try to lead to Christ. Remember what the Great Commission is. Go, preach, teach. A sower went into the seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and it grew up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell on good soil, and it yielded a hundredfold. 
Or how about this one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. God gives the growth. I gotta say it to you again because I had to say it to myself. God is giving the growth. You are not responsible to get the growth. Just plant the seed. Use this time that we have. It's not forever. It's really short. Use the time that you have. When Paul was reaching the lost world and the Corinthian church, he said this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. You don't have to sound smart. For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's it. Preach Christ crucified to the world. Scatter the seed, and it will fall on some good soil. The result of your sowing belongs to God. How about the way that Paul commanded Timothy? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, some of you might be thinking about Acts 2 when I'm talking about evangelism, right? Mighty Acts 2. You're like, I don't know what Acts 2 is. This is where Peter is preaching to uh, the, uh, the, the Jerusalem, not Jerusalem church, they weren't a church yet, and this is the day of Pentecost, and he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Church, could we say this to our crooked generation? And so those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Perhaps that is how you imagine evangelism. We've got to be out there. got to be like Peter. There I go. <laughs> I would say that that is not the culture we live in today. This is not me being smart. This is somebody else <laughs> mentioning this. But there was another pastor who was, who was making this point. But it's so good. I think our world would look more like this one in Acts 17 when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill. Now, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, some of the Epicureans, that's the Epicurus paradox, by the way, from earlier, and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And then we're skipping down to 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you more about, again about this. And Paul went from their midst, but some men joined and believed. A world full of idols, you say, false gods, worldly philosophers, many who mock the truth, some who will make no decision, but we'll listen to you in a second time and some that might believe. Brothers and sisters, if there is a world that is more closely resemblance in this Acts paradigm, I would suggest to you it's this one. But we have to ask ourselves, was Paul, oh, sorry, was Peter just a better and more effective preacher than Paul? Tell your neighbor this week. Was he just a more effective preacher, Peter, better than Paul? 
Or perhaps were the Jewish people who just 40 days before had been calling for Christ to be crucified, were they just more willing to receive the gospel and, you know, make a profession? I say if Christ instructed us to complete the Great Commission, to go and make and teach, can we conclude that Paul wasn't completing the Great Commission correctly? Again, tell your neighbor, what do you think? Give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes, Paul was not doing the Great Commission correctly, or no, he was doing it correctly. That makes sense, yes. Yes, where are you? Yes, up and down. Action steps. You ready? Here we go. So here's some takeaways as we close here. I would encourage us all, my students, myself, all of you, to daily look into God's Word. You have to take inventory of where you are at spiritually. And you, you have to ask the Lord. You, we ought to all want to ask the Lord, are there areas that we need to grow in? And then as he leads, go. One of my new favorite hymns is Almost There. Uh, and the first stanza goes like this. Don't drop a single anchor, we're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now, we're almost home. In case you don't know this, this is not heaven. Someone has told me that for the Christian, this world is as close to hell as we will ever get. For the non-believer, this is as close to heaven as they will ever get. That's sobering. That's sobering. And if we are not in heaven yet, God's work in our lives is not done. So I say to all of us, let us shake off any spiritual lethargy that we might be operating under. Let us shake off any worldliness that we've allowed to tangle in our lives. And let us move towards personal discipline and evangelism. Perhaps you have heard this, that the American church is very similar to a cruise ship. We have a kind of a cruise ship mentality. We look around, we find a comfortable place, you know, order a drink. Find something entertaining to do while we wait for the cruise to be over. And then we die, I suppose, as that metaphor goes. Is this the church that Christ came to build? A, you know, au garçon sort of uh, mentality? I would say to you, no, no. This world is not our home. We are his slaves. We are his ambassadors. We are representatives of heaven to this world. And both of us have a station on the battleship of his name. This time that we have to spend is not our time. It is the Lord's. We have been bought for a price, and this is the price. This is the purpose. We have come here to destroy demonic strongholds. We have come to go behind enemy lines and to take enemy soldiers and to tell them the news that they do not have to be traitors to their king any longer. That is what we are supposed to be filling our time with. The Christians before us were burned alive. They were sawn in half. They were fed to lions. They were disemboweled. They were nailed to crosses. And Christ says, take my cross and follow me from where to the hill of our own execution. Why would we do this? Because it's worth it. Because he's worth it. Oh, he is so worth it. 
And so I will say this again to myself and to all of us in this room. Let us take stock, church, where we are and ask God, lead me, lead me, lead me. Number two, let us look at the lost world with an eye on their eternal destiny. Hell isn't just a bad place. It is the most terrible place. We've been talking about eternity and what infinity means. And if I were to say that the sun is bright, I can't say that it's infinitely bright, because in order to be infinitely bright, it would have to have all the brightness in the entire universe. A mountain is tall, but it can't be infinitely tall, because if it was, it would have to have all the tallness, whatever tallness means, in the universe. But when we say that hell is bad, it is infinitely bad. All of the badness that could be is there. Its horrors are too great to comprehend. It's a place that Christ says the flame is not quenched and the worm is not dead and it does not die. So our discomfort, my discomfort in sharing the good news of the gospel, the greatest news the world has ever known, is the tiniest price to pay to warn sinners of the danger that they're in. If you haven't used some of your time to learn how to evangelize, it is way easier. I mean, there are resources, you might consider writing them down, Way of the Master, Living Water. Greg Kokel has a great book called Tactics, where the, the whole concept is just put a pebble in someone's shoe. Just look for opportunities. I had an opportunity for a friend. She is a Buddhist, California Buddhist, I don't know, diet Buddhism, right? And, uh, and we were talking, and she said something was evil, and I said, what do you mean by evil? And she's like, you know, just like bad and stuff. I was like, well, where did that idea of badness come from in a world that doesn't have a right or wrong? And then we got interrupted, and then I, I ran into her three weeks later, and she's like, I have to talk to you about badness, because I've been thinking about it nonstop. <laughs> I was like, oh, great, praise God. That's, I didn't say praise God, but I was thinking, you know, praise God. It's, it's easy. It's actually easier, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. How many of you know who Penn Jillette is? Pendulette, like some of you. Pendulette. Pendulette is a, uh, a, 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 a magician, right? Pen and Teller. They've got their stage show. Uh, he is an avowed atheist. He's almost an evangelical atheist, if you want to use that uh, word. He said this when someone offered to give him a Bible. He said this, I have always said that I don't respect people who don't share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. Because if you believe that there is a real heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth your time to do this because it would be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not evangelize to them? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible? And, and then he offered this point. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was... And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. In conclusion, we are supposed to seek and save the lost. That is our holy calling that is the thing that Satan is working night and day to prevent. Satan wants us drinking his truths, the world's poisons. He wants us watching his movies and listening to his music and speaking his words. He wants your minds to be full of discord at what's going on in the world. Ooh, the stock market. 
not important. Oh, the wars. It's not ultimately important. He wants us eyeing both a better house on the hill and the pretty wife behind the door. He wants us weak. He wants us compromised. And he wants it now. And all of his might is pressing on our buttons because he's been around long enough to know what they are. And we have to discipline ourselves. We must swim up against the tide of this world. We have the gospel of life. We have to share it. We ought to share it. We ought to be begging for opportunities to share it every day, regardless of the awkwardness. And believe me, it can feel awkward. It can feel awkward. But it's worth it. The Lord says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So, if you find, as I found as I was preparing this message, that you have not acted as you wish you would have, just remind yourself what it says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning. Every morning. Let those words ring in your ear every morning new. So at the end of Youth Sunday, I will say to us what I've been saying since the beginning. Make the use, best use of your time. For these days are evil. Will you close with me in prayer? Lord, this was a hard message for me to give. This was a hard message for me to take. And it is a harder one to live out. My prayer, Lord, is that you would be working in our lives that you would call us to take account what we are doing, how we are living, what we are thinking, and to just hold them up against the glory of your word, this perfect standard, your perfect son, and help us to change what needs to be changed. I ask, Lord, that we would be bold, that we would be brave, and that we would face any price to tell your truth, because these days are evil, and this world needs your light. It's in your name I say, amen.